This episode of the podcast has been brought to you by Sweet Cheetah Publicity. Sweet Cheetah is an inclusive, socially conscious PR collective that puts their money where their mouth is. They have a current roster of bands that reads like a greatest hits anthology. Brainiac, Catholic School, Jawbox, The New Amsterdams, Oceans in the Sky. I mean, the list goes on and on. They also do PR for record labels such as A La Carte, Arctic Rodeo, Steadfast, Rad Girlfriend, and so many more. How do they pay it forward? How do they put their money where their mouth is? By generating thousands of dollars in annual charitable donations to the likes of Women in Vinyl, Coalition of Communities of Color, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, and many, many more. The man has the receipts. I've seen them. It is real. The artists, labels, and podcasts Sweet Cheetah works with are curated with an eye on working primarily with friends. You could find Sweet Cheetah on all of the social media platforms, be it Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Just look for Sweet Cheetah PR and they will be there. He's been Tim. I've been Peter. And Sweet Cheetah has been beautiful. Welcome to another edition of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. I'm your host, Peter, and I am still here. And tonight, I'm pleased to bring to you Damien Moyal. Damien has been in Culture. He's been in As Friends Rust. Name a band. He's been in many. But tonight, I'm here for one reason only. That being Total Power. The new record by Damien Dunn. Total Power is nine tracks that run the gamut as far as dark musics are concerned. Uh, we have Pray For Me, which is, as he would put it, the most on-the-nose uh, post-punk song on the record. But this entire record dabbles in darkness of all sort. It's just a matter of which way it's presented. These are all very, very bleak, very artistic songs as executed by a man who does not consider himself a musician, which is incredible to me. But I think the results are exquisite. I think this is the better record of his two full months and I love Charm Offensive so much. Total Power is the ultimate statement and I can only hope that this is a sign of more to come from Damien Dunn. Now let me get a couple little you know necessities out of the way. If you like what you're hearing please like, rate, subscribe, write a review, share with your friends. I would be very appreciative now there's myriad ways you can financially support us those are well trodden upon you know venmo paypal blah 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 any support is appreciated the best way to support us 
is by letting other people know how cool you think this show is. If you would do that, I will keep bringing this to you. On with the show. Damien and I, as evidenced from our last episode together, which was not an episode, it was two episodes uh, split up by one week. Uh, we get together and we just lock in. Uh, we, we inhabit our own little space together, and it's amazing. I cut out half of our conversation this time around. I will not be offering a part two. This is the meat of the conversation. We were together for over four and a half hours for this episode. The rest of the conversation was mostly for us anyway, as two friends catching up talking about what's important to us. What I've got for you right here is the cream of the crop. I hope you enjoy it. This record's amazing. Without further ado, I give to you Damien Moyel of Damien Dunn on the book of Very, Very Bad Things Podcast. What's up? What's up, brother? Oh, chilling. Let's see here. Maybe All good. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so what I've is- been I've been living with the new song. Pray for me. Um, last time we talked, I brought up you know kind of like a halfway sort of connection to darker music that uh, people who used to be in hardcore bands are making. And I know you don't feel like you're a part of that, and you're not. But Pray For Me is easily the closest you've ever come to making a post-punk song, in my opinion. Uh, don't know how yeah. you feel about that, but it definitely, it feels like... It's a lot more on the nose. Um, I will say it's uh, it's as bad an indication of what the album uh, will be like as any other song I could have, uh, kicked it off with. Um, it's the only one that fully, uh, nineties goth club kind of dance floor, you know, just creepy crawly kind of gothy post-punk. Yeah. That's, that was the only one that was like really, really just kind of on the nose. Cause I just felt like, you know, I just wanted to, to go for it one time for your mind. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. In the past stuff, there's been like a post-punk flavor or influence kind of underpinning stuff. Um, this isn't this isn't a flavor. This is just a straight up like gothy post-punk kind of club club song, dance floor song. And you're also including Black Moon. Uh, I'm guessing Black Moon's being re-recorded. And there's another, I believe, also that we've heard before uh, from yeah. the album. Yeah, there were three demos at the end of 
2020, I did a, a demos from the year 2020, and it was three songs. Uh, their demos a little misleading because a lot of times it's not like once the songs are written, we go back and record them all from scratch. Um, they're more kind of like uh, their works in progress. They're kind of rough mixes. It's it's uh, tracking and retracking, but always kind of on this in the same file. We just keep you know making tweaks until we have it the way we want it, and then we send it off to be mixed. But so I would say uh, an earlier version of of uh, all three of the songs from that from demos from the year 2020: Black Moon, Maw, and Always on Fire. Uh, all three of those are on on the full length along with uh six yeah and six new ones newer ones so th they were they weren't demos they were like the bones yeah 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 it kind of always starts with like one file you know you pick your tempo and you just start sort of building um and what was are we rolling already yeah i i, I always hit the ground running i'm sorry yeah, we just, <laughs> no that's good we just jump right into it um what was different about this record was in the past i was always a lot more prescriptive about the demos where it was like look here's the beat here's here uh here are all the guitar tracks and basically the band at the time was kind of just learning them for the sake of the live show um uh except for the tonight ep in which case the full band at the time just went in and, and actually recorded it live um but this time around uh yeah it was it was basically like um i get a melody or a riff or something i i open it up i pick the tempo i build some drums and i track uh usually i'll start by just programming um really obviously fake uh bass and even guitar sometimes if i don't feel like getting up and plugging in and stopping what i'm doing sometimes i'll just use the keys you know to sort of play the guitar line and uh and then later i'll replace those with real guitars um this time around it was kind of like i would i would go that far and then i would turn it over to tyler uh the other guitarist and he he played most, I played very little guitar on, on this new album, actually. Uh, I think maybe two or three songs have like guitars that I actually strummed or, or, or played. Cause uh, he basically would just be like, yeah, I got it. Do you want me to track your parts too, or just whatever I write for my parts? And I was like, track it all, man. Just have at it. <laughs> so I just focused on drums and vocals and and uh I mean I would still, you know, I'd write bass lines, program them, and sometimes he would just play uh the guitars the way that I wrote them or whatever. But um for the most part it was kind of a yeah, you're just building. You're just kind of stacking layers and you know. Uh, well, yeah, I, I would think like especially with the the past two years you've had you're doing a lot of work you know you've had already a slew of releases in 2022 23 it's looking like between this and as friends rusts new records coming out this year i'm guessing right yep, yep. my goodness we are uh we we just emailed off our final pass of 
of mixed notes. So I think probably by like tomorrow night, the, the whole thing will be done for Azran Trust. Jesus Christ. And then uh, <laughs> Ecstasis is also kind of, we're working on a, a record too right now. My God. And you, oh, that, yeah. that, just, that just came out. <laughs> <laughs> that just came out that demo came out and now like and basically as soon as it came out we had like 10 songs on deck for for an album um but now we're taking our time because we got uh uh fred in on drums and we're just kind of like you know we the demo was a very impulsive uh knee jerk kind of like wrote it put it out um, very quickly this time we're like yeah, maybe we can just slow down a little bit now and like pay more attention to the arrangements and try and get it but that'll also be uh, I don't know if it'll come out in 23 but that's also on the plate and then Dave from Ecstasis the the, uh, the guy writing most of the music he and I started uh, something else on the side and we're, we're on like our fourth or fifth song for that too so yeah well I can't imagine what other like kind of musical stratosphere you could possibly, are you doing an industrial project? Because that's the only thing that's kind of missing right now. <laughs> no, no. We're doing uh we're calling the style glam rot because it's basically, uh, it's basically like very hair metal um, on the, on the music end. Um, but still just really vile and gross vocally. So it's, it's basically like, <laughs> We're just kind of carrying the ecstasis sort of vocal uh, and thematic uh, thing over to uh, the other thing that we sort of bond over regularly in text messages and stuff, which is like, you know, White Lion and <laughs> Wasp and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's very, uh, yeah, glamorous. So you're actually upping the ante on what entombed did when they were doing the whole like death and roll thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not so much death and roll as, uh, uh what was the, what was our altered uh, descriptor? It was, uh, I don't remember, but yeah, <laughs> but, you know, the problem with, so I, that's where I got off the entombed. I, I can't, I can't do that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Although there have been a few other bands that went in directions sort of described as, uh, maybe I just didn't like it for uh, for Intuned. It just felt it was it was more personal. Yeah, well, um, I, I mean, Wolverine Blues was was kind of like where I stopped with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, like that to ride, shoot straight, and speak the truth was quite possibly the worst of like that whole earache, Columbia. Even though it wasn't on that label, it was yeah. born of that fruit. I couldn't I couldn't get on board with it. It just didn't feel fun anymore. No, it wasn't. And people love that that record too. Uh I just yeah, I, I think the problem was I don't have an idea or I don't I don't have a problem with the idea of of uh bringing more rock and roll into it or I guess kind of back into it if you, you know, trace the lineage. Yeah. Um I just didn't like the way they were doing it and I think it's because they started doing it at a time you know uh where groove was kind of um ruining everything 
you know yeah. it was like the pantera of it all and yeah and, and and look i i don't mind pantera uh music anyway um but it, it was sort of the beginning it was a changing of the of the guard like there was like a new sheriff in you know and and all of a sudden it was like uh you know dickies and shaved heads in place of you know uh long hair and high top sneakers and tight tight jeans and stuff and it, like everything changed it got a lot more uh macho a lot more like see you in the fucking pit you know yeah um and uh and whatever there there was a lot of great stuff that came out around that time and i listened to my fair share of biohazard and and oh yeah and all the worst perpetrators of of that it was, it's fine you know um yeah. But what it did, I think, for Entombed was by the time they got around to like incorporating rock and roll in their death metal, uh, it was like bad early 90s version of rock and roll. <clears throat> like there wasn't any sleaze. There was just, you know, a little bit of a raunchy grit to the to the chugging, but it, I, it didn't feel... To me, it felt more like Zach Wilde influenced almost in a way and not in the not in a good way. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like they were listening to a bunch of Aussies, like <laughs> early 90s output, like uh, No More Tears and thinking, well, we're going to go. In right. this yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that bummed me out because we still had At The Gates at that time. That's also a big groove, though. You could also argue that that was like that turning point for like Aussie, too, after... Uh like no rest for the wicked when things got and it, it's good stuff they're good there's good material there but it's arguably also more groove affected i think it was everything you know and then hatebreed did it to hardcore kind of all of these like groove hammers fell at once on all these different scenes yeah uh, and 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 like do you blame pantera i kind of do i blame x order first but then pantera you know <laughs> who are arguably the same band <laughs> yeah no i i think uh i definitely they're yeah they sort of, they sort of symbolize that shift um which was all kind of i think emotions were already running high because everyone was still sort of like we already didn't know what to do about the black album yeah uh everything just felt like it was changing and and i think uh that pushed people sort of you know in one direction or or, or another but uh it, it's scary that it it kind of happened to all of the subsets of like what one would consider uh extreme or or more alternative musics everything kind of got flushed down the same toilet at one point <laughs> and even like i remember in the late 80s really liking white zombie a lot like a whole lot because they were grimy and they kind of almost sounded like shit, but in a great way and they had more in common with sonic youth kind of than they did with what they became and they also manned the change around that time i remember seeing them on tour with into another and thinking this was going to be a great show and then i went to see it and i was not impressed <laughs> I, yeah. uh, having, having been the age I was in that time period was a big bummer and a big 
call to nostalgia, I think, for me musically. Yeah. Because I, I just kept going back then. Like, I'll just listen to Coroner and be happy. <laughs> yeah. I'll be happy with that, too. Yeah. I, who wouldn't? Um, you know, I'm also, I'm realizing kind of around the same time it was, you know, so obviously it happened in, in, in metal and hardcore. And then we just sort of touched on like Ozzy ish kind of strains of like hard rock or like radio metal mm -hmm. um, it was also happening to helmet. It was also happening to, uh, uh, hum, you know, it was like their, their groove really did sort of take, take over. Uh, things got like mids got scooped, you know, leads disappeared and everything just became much more like sort of rhythm, uh, like chunky and rhythmic, uh, snap case, you know, yeah. it, was, it was kind of, it was really, it was really rampant. It was an, a nineties thing. I think if you look back at the nineties, groove might be uh, a descriptor that's applicable to, to, I don't know, maybe all the fucking music of the 90s. Maybe, maybe I need to go back and listen to some some more slow jams or like pop hits and see if <laughs> the groove get to shy too. <laughs> it could have been, it, it legitimately could have also been the that, that golden era renaissance of hip hop because it was so inescapable and it was so influential. You know what I mean? You could yeah. see you could see a metal band like Guns N' Roses with NWA shirts on and and Biohazard hanging out with Onyx and even all the way back to Sick of It All having KRS-One on a record. Um, these things were they were bound to be together. Right. How it affected radio rock is probably the biggest surprise to me because for a, a guy in an extreme metal band or a, or a hardcore band to like hip hop, not a big stretch, not really. Mm -mm. But you know, people in these more acceptable genres of music at the time period to have kind of received that same zeitgeist. To me, it, it almost has to be hip hop. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, yeah, hip hop definitely was was having. A moment and you could see like those sort of looped programmed beats or grooves sort of permeating other you know uh other types of music yeah and there was a lot more crossing over and kind of uh reaching across the aisle yeah and, and you could kind of also also sort of blame anthrax with public enemy and then the judgment night soundtrack obviously <laughs> for sure yeah all conversations lead back to the Judgment Night soundtrack, I think. <laughs> yeah. I've had more conversations about that soundtrack than I think almost any album. Uh, and half of it was absolutely unlistenable in all reality. But the other half was kind of brilliant, you know, in its way. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. I, I remember there were being a, like a couple songs I didn't care for as much as the others, but I don't think there were any like really offensive stinkers it was it was like uh yeah there was just good shit on there and you know um it's been a while since i've listened to it but yeah you had like de la soul that's the one i go back to that and, del, and del del was blur on that not blur 
um, or like Happy Mondays or Teenage Fan Club or something. Teenage Fan Club and uh, oh man, it was Teenage Fan Club and son of a bitch, I I, I really don't remember, but I, I know it was Dinosaur Junior and Dell, and I think it was uh, De La and Teenage Fan Club. That might have been yeah, that might have been Dell as well. And you know, so this is interesting too because so if we if we correlate like groove with a certain amount of sort of like um, machismo, right? Toughness, mm-hmm. which also kind of culturally changed changed the landscapes of like metal and you know scenes like that that were all pretty good timey before then. All of a sudden, it was like, oh, now you got to watch out for you know this meathead over here um it's also uh when sort of that shift in hip-hop uh things took a much more like gangster sort of turn right like um that daisy era of de la soul kind of uh tribe jungle brothers kind of stuff like was sort of pretty much done you know ending it was ending uh I think Diggable Planets was kind of the last, you know, the 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 death rattle of that whole um, thing for a while of like backpacky kind of smart, feel good, jazzy, chill hip hop, and yeah. then it's got a lot more like um, a lot more drive by kind of you know like a lot more <laughs> gangstery. So I think just in general the like that sort of chest beating ma- masculinity kind of just. Uh, the knob got bumped up all of a sudden, I think in the early nineties, uh, across, across the entire kind of musical, you know, universe. And, and, you know, there's a through line obviously, uh, for you on this record, because black moon is, is, is on this and you're a big black moon fan. Yeah. I'm a big black moon fan. They're phenomenal. And they did kind of encapsulate, a lot of that gangsterish, yeah. But with the dark, the dark beats, almost yeah. like grave diggers. They they were at that transition. They were sort of. I love those moments where it's like they're not they're not de la soul, but they're also not you know um, I don't know NWA or or whatever. It's like yeah, this this they're still keeping all of that sort of. New York backpack kind of jazzy East Coast sound, um, but it's not daytime. It's like one in the morning, and uh, it's like eerily quiet, and it's it's just darker. And yeah, there's like the violent kind of um, street, you know, sort of uh, feel that's a lot more kind of gangstery than other, you know. Uh, groups from New York at the time, but, but, uh, but it hadn't fully gone into that direction. They never kind of fully went into that direction. I love that sort of darker, like the, the grittier, it's like, uh, the bizarro De La and Tribe and, you know, yeah. on the side of that coin, you got like Helta Skelta and Black Moon and Smith and Wesson and shit. Yeah. That's all the stuff that <clears throat> I think is kind of 
under or maybe not fully underappreciated, but definitely not as celebrated as some of the other artists that we've mentioned. Uh, and I think that, you know, kind of goes for a lot of the uh, outliers in all genres at that time period, because we still, you know, for every biohazard, there was a Fugazi, you know, there's always the answer to the thing that's happening, you know, the thing that's prevalent. Um, even like go, going back to culture, you guys were still on the straight edge tip, but you weren't uh, earth crisis about it. Um, there's always that answer. And uh, I think right now with this record, you're kind of providing that answer to the people who are not fed up, but kind of looking for something that's still dark and seething, but not cold cave, not soft kill, you know, not this, this thing that's very, very apparently on the darker tip and, and, you know, you, you're providing maybe something slightly adjacent, but a, a little more thoughtful. Yeah. Um, obviously I haven't heard all nine tracks. I've heard three and I've heard different versions of all three, except for pray for me. Um, but you know, there, I, I think that there's still that part of you that maybe not consciously goes that way, but very naturally goes that way. Um, I think you're, that's still what you're doing. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. that's why it's not that far afield from any of the other bands you've done. Yeah, I think there, I think, uh, there are people who play music who, who, um, I know a lot of them who like very unapologetically are like, no, I'm a, I'm a, I ape, you know, like I, I see something that I, that I like and I set out to like emulate it. You know, if I, if I love dinosaur junior, I'm, I want to be in a band that sounds like dinosaur junior and I will be like study, you know, study what it is to be dinosaur junior and do my best. And that's fine. That serves a purpose. I think a lot of people do want just kind of more of a sound. So whatever you know um and then uh and then there are the people who like don't ever want to be accused of completely aping an artist so they uh we i think i fall into this category but what we probably do is just hope that if we ape like a hundred of them a little bit <laughs> no one will be able to pinpoint like where the influences are coming from no, I just feel like you get these different inputs and when I'm writing, I'm not only paying attention to one input. It's not like I'm not checking it against the sister of mercy meter to, to make sure it's like in the green, you know, like, okay, cool. It sounds enough like sisters of mercy, but I think that I am just like, um, I have a riff that maybe subconsciously reminds me of a chord progression of, you know, just kind of takes me somewhere else and that will probably inform my vocal phrasing. And then I'll realize later that like, oh, I think without realizing it, that was kind of this part of this pixie song or, you know, something. But uh, anyway, my, my point is there are people who like, they enjoy being in bands that sound like a band that they love and then there are people who um, don't get any joy out of that and i think i don't get much joy out of that uh um 
But I think the other part of the problem is I'm not enough of a musician to even know how to dissect the shit to do that if I wanted to. So I really respect people that can do that because they are like, you know, really analytic and really kind of uh, able to kind of break it down the theory and, and absorb it and become it. And that's just requires a whole lot of intelligence that I don't have. I, I just, I, I think most really original things are born of people who a, like you said, are paying attention to these different inputs, but also have limitations. I think if you're limited, you're forced to invent because you have no one to really, you can't really copy someone because you don't have the ability to. So you're forced to sort of pull something from thin air. Right. Uh, that kind of explains everyone from, you know, the Sex Pistols to Big Black in a way. Because these people, they, they had their limitations. These were not Juilliard-trained, Berkeley School of Music-trained musicians. They were people who could barely play. Right. Yeah, and, that's interesting. It's almost like, uh, like, yeah, you learn how to juggle, like this famous juggler, um, but right before showtime, we're going to, like, remove an arm mm. so like you uh you start a band and you you're sort of looking to these big huge recording budget kind of metal bands but like your band has 300 dollars. so like what's your 300 version of this you know uh thing that you've been chasing and a lot of times that's where like the the exciting shit happens because it's just like uh two two circumstances that shouldn't shouldn't be happening together and you know you end up uh yeah you end up with it's it's a economy of style right um yeah i think i think the most creative shit happens under constraints that's why i always find myself trying to figure out where like especially norwegian black metal comes from because of the inverted chords and obviously their their recordings were god awful uh which lent to kind of the mood but like the the idea of the inverted chord in and of itself i i can't find a father to it and as analytical as my mind can be especially when it comes to music and music history i uh i go back to like classical maybe but even then like the idea that they're playing things backwards like the the devil's tricord <laughs> You know what I mean? But they're playing it backwards or inverted. Like, was it someone who was just completely untrained and played a guitar wrong and it sounded good? It, it almost, it would almost kind of have to be. Yeah, when no one's telling you where to put your fingers, you put them, you just try that shit yourself, right? And it's either that or it was somebody who was just so contrarian that they were like... um yeah, I'm just going to completely like, what's the most wrong shit that I could do right now? How can I offend guitar? <laughs> no, how can I use this guitar to offend the way that I can? Um, maybe, I don't know. It would, it would kind of almost have to be Hellhammer's fault. Kind of, you know? I, I can't think of anybody else who came close to doing something like that precursor to them. I don't know. You know, it's just, it's, it's interesting where these disparate oddball sounds come from. I think 
everything that you do on your records has it has a sound that's all kind of almost unidentifiable in a way because the guitar sound has uh there's a creepiness to it that's not like you said sisters of mercy adjacent or you know even even if you go back to like some of the more obscure like dark wave stuff like they're still playing in a mode in a style your guitar sound has an odd quality that I cannot put my finger on. I, don't I can tell you what it is. Uh, I don't think I'm very good at tuning. So I think a lot of that is just the guitar is kind of out of tune. Um, and the other thing is to that point about like constraints. Um, I only started writing songs for this project, uh, Damien Dunn, because I had just quit as friends rust in the early two thousands. And I was like bandless and, uh, and there was a guitar in my apartment. My girlfriend played guitar and I just started tinkering with it. And because I didn't know anything about playing guitar, because I had always really like stayed in my lane, mm -hmm. didn't want to know shit about an instrument. <laughs> and you guys leave me alone about lyrics and we'll just, you know, we'll all get along. Um, I, so I was like, I'm, I'm just a singer. I don't know anything about um, instruments. So, um, but somebody told me that uh, if I tuned a drop D, I could play a power chord, which is apparently plenty easy enough, right? It's just two fingers. Uh, but I could do it with just one finger if I tuned to drop D. I could just bar an entire fret with one finger. It didn't have to be graceful or, or you know, coordinated or anything. Uh, so that's what that whole, like, the Stay Black record, which is mostly like that acoustic guitar that I wrote those songs on um, that I recorded with is is just like one dumb clunky finger sort of sliding up and down the the, the thing but uh, but I've had people uh, that I've tried to play with over the years um, like really really good what I learned is is uh, well Tyler works and he's great and, and uh, Andy was like super good before that but there were a lot of like very good guitarists who couldn't who would tell me that they can't play my because i wanted to just sing and they mm. were like can't play these and make them sound the way like i'm using your guitar and it doesn't sound right <laughs> you know how to play guitar when i'm down and out and go up down until my body sweats it out if i could find some peace of mind
<laughs> like I just learned last year. That was like early 2000s, right? And uh, I just learned last year that I've been just squeezing the fucking shit out of my neck, like unnecessarily hard. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not just like barring with one finger. I seem to think that I need to like push the strings like through the fretboard, you know. <laughs> <laughs> make sure they're down or something. I don't know why I've been doing this, but I just really, I recently realized that like, you don't have to push those strings down very hard at all. Well, no, I mean, you're just, a, you're probably just afraid of fret buzz. I don't, I don't know what it was. I just like, it's, it's, I've just been playing it like very violently and cr crudely <laughs> uh, all these years, I guess. But so, yeah, I'm not a guitarist. And I think maybe that's part of what sounds different. It's just like, those parts are being, you know, written by or, or played by someone who has no fucking clue what they're doing. That's, that's honestly the most fun way to approach it. And, you know, the, also the way you write songs is it has an economy to it, but it's still, there, there's just some, there's that extra, uh, I don't know if it's the influence from the amount of like metal and like guttural hardcore that you've loved that I love. You, you don't approach uh, what could be construed as almost a pop based song, like a pop based song. It, it's still like you're attacking it a little bit, you know, like you're, you're, it, there's a, a, an aggression to the way the song is actually put together that's kind of apparent you could almost see some of these songs being a metal song you know yeah. I mean, pray for me even though we've ascertained that it has a a, a very dark element dark wave post-punk gothy element all you have to do is overdrive that guitar a little bit and growl the vocals and it is it's a metal song there's a metal song in there somewhere yeah do you think that's kind of like where all of this is coming from, from just those years of, of violent music coming through in a nonviolent format? Probably I, I've, I've definitely noticed in some of the uh, older, I haven't really looked for it on the, on the new songs, but uh, on, on a lot of the older Damien Dunn stuff, I would notice there'd be like guitar accents, like, you know, that were, clearly sort of informed by by doomy kind of heavier sort of metal stuff um i think in in my mind uh what it is is i i like the i like that kind of dark post-punky stuff that is still rock it's still being played by instruments and it still has teeth like um like some of the the meaner songs on on pixie's trompe le monde yeah. uh the sad punk or you know like um yeah where he there's just a lot of or or subaculture mm -hmm. this like plodding dark kind of you picture that sort of goth nightclub 90s um kind of thing but it's like those are real instruments and there's like some grit to it, uh, but it's structured in a really loopy kind of new wave. It's, it's very, no, uh, it puts you in the same sort of like 
color space as like a Billy Idol or something, right? Yeah. Um, that's the shit that I that I like. I think it's again, like I think there's nothing wrong with just going like I just want to do Sisters of Mercy ish kind of like cold wavy stuff and and i want to just sound like a throwback to that kind of thing um i'm just not like i don't really want to do that if i did want to do it though it would look a lot more like billy idol than uh you know sisters of mercy or whatever uh is going around these days there's there's really something to be said about the the first few billy idol post generation x albums uh, I think people overlook because they were popular, but they were incredibly like dark sex, like S and M dungeon type songs. Yeah. And he's singing songs about like these really gnarly, like French films, like, uh, or was it German eyes without a face was a German film. I think actually that's one of the most screwed up movies to ever have been committed to film. <laughs> and he's writing a top 40 song about it there uh, that's something that i think probably we're missing in what could be called popular music right now there's no yeah, music used to be a little darker and a little more cynical you know that was kind of uh i, I wouldn't even say like with punk stuff i think it was more kind of a, like new wave there was like a sort of a more like cynical skeptical you know smart ass kind of uh darkness that um yeah anyway but i love that i loved that particular intersection of like like you had the the uh the dark sort of new wave post-punk influences but then there was also like you know there was some leather and uh some neon and it was like that was just a great little moment and that's to me like uh um in my DNA, like those were like, that's what the summers sounded like when I was a kid, like on the radio. Like, I just, I love that sort of, uh, yeah, that plotting, uh, man, I'm going to end up saying groove. I'm just not <laughs> sleaze but, is probably a better way to put it because it had a sheen of sleaze over it that made it dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that now that I'm thinking about it, that is what Damien Dunn is. There is that, that, that sleaze to it. That's not glammy sleaze. It's uh, like, there's a sheen of the dirtiness of, of reality itself. Uh, just laying over the top of everything. And it, it lends to the aesthetic. Yeah. You know, it makes sense to me anyway, but whenever we talk, we end up like dissecting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, well, I think like you, you do. I mean, while I've never been like about like emulating one particular thing, you do conjure a character. Like you, I, I do this kind of like with vocals. Uh, there, yeah, you're you're sort of you're playing a character. I, I think that started. I, I didn't always do that. I think at one point I was like just screaming, and then uh, at some somewhere along the line, I started sort of like conjuring characters so songs will have very different voices or or uh perspectives or, or whatever um but i think in the same way uh 
you sort of have a character or an avatar or like a mood board for your your band as a whole and i would say that like that's what i kind of gravitate and that's where my mind goes more than uh whatever kind of um joy divisioning thing or 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 super programmed kind of uh cold wavy sort of stuff my mind always goes to like jesus and mary chain billy idol like you know even like a little ramones like there's this this uh ray-bans wayfarers leather jackets um a little bit of neon a little bit of dry ice you know <laughs> it's like uh and it's very bass forward and the drums may or may not be programmed uh if they're being played live they're trying to sound programmed because it's just it's a beat you know and uh, i like that sort of seedy leathery kind of rock and roll new wave post-punk dark shit you call it he'll answer that old faithful cancer love Your favorite disaster love Sinking, soaring, thrilling, boring love
Oh man. Well, you realize that we once again accomplished four hours. Oh fuck, man. That oh, do you want to talk about the Damien Dunn record real quick? Like, yeah. like <laughs> at, <laughs> at least a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we did, we did uh, enough to glean 20 minutes. Um, I'm not going to do a two-parter again because I, I, I know I punished oh, people with that. Shit, shit out of this, man. This is, you know, it, it was this or Walking Dead for me, so <laughs> this is way better. There's something, there's something about when you and I get together on a fucking podcast where we burn through half of a work day drinking wine and bullshitting about music that becomes this epic like yeah just dissertation on life and religion and to me it all feels crucial and it's I'm good sure. for me because i need the practice um like i've been trying to get better at insulting entire swaths of bands and styles of music that are very close to the hearts of like our own fan base mm. um, I need the practice like at doing that more diplomatically, less offensively. And I think I'm getting better. I think I'm getting better. Um, less vitriol yeah. this time for sure. Yeah. yeah, no, it's look, there's definitely a level of respect. There's a, there's a, there's a work ethic and a dedication to craft that I nor any of my bandmates <laughs> have ever had, you know, or understood. I mean, we're not we're not all like talentless, you know, like, like cavemen on on our instruments or anything. But like nobody's ever really been sort of disillusioned in quite that kind of way. Uh, I'm sure there are people among us who would like love the success, but like that shit don't last. You know, it only lasts as long as you are good looking, and like none of us are that good looking. You know, <laughs> and we're fucking 40. I'm 46. Yeah. Like this ain't the time to make it big. You know, that's fine. That's fine. Um, I've, I've, I've oddly like as, as comical as the amount of bands I've been in has been I'm like, I've never wanted that to be my career. Never. It just, you know, it, if it even seemed achievable, it, it, it was just obviously too fleeting and fickle for me to feel uh, I'm pretty risk averse. You know, that just looks like a fucking nightmare. Yeah. How long is that going to last? You know? So not my thing. Uh, but um, I hope this record makes us very rich. <laughs> no, I, I think it's a, I think it's a good record. I don't even remember. I keep talking about Esperance Russ and we're here to talk about Damien Dunn. It, uh, it, you know, let's talk about the Damien Dunn record. I need to look up uh, the songs because I, again, like I did such a good job forgetting that it was uh, even going to come out. All right. So, Ma, Black Moon, Pray for Me, Inexorable, Young Drugs, Always on Fire, Fin Dumb, uh, Gentleman Thief, and Bounty and Blight. Yeah inexercisable inexercisable i'm so you know it it, it has been four it's hours the word so and my contacts are glazed over but yeah you know um no it's, a, it's not a i was like i'm gonna get in trouble for that word but it's not a real word <laughs> 
but you know just inexercisable as in like impossible to exercise exercise uh that's going to be one of the singles we, re we release actually that's one of the songs that tyler wrote and it's very fucking cool as this like sort of policey beginning uh yeah cool song so what are we talking about what do we what do we got here yeah so there's pray for me then there's inexercisable and then uh i think it's oh and then there's going to be bounty and blight which is the the aforementioned duet yeah uh with a project like this on you know like austin does a great job you know it's a phenomenal label i bring him up a lot because he does release a lot of great shit what does a single look like for uh, uh you know a project on his label it's just it's just a digital release uh, a, a push to the publications it's it's not like it was with a single way back in the day it's it's just that right just a push <laughs> right now correct it's just a push that you uh you you go into uh knowing may or may not have any impact whatsoever <laughs> you know because uh that's the thing you're, you're pushing it on on publications and platforms that are more and more just news aggregators than kind of uh sources of information opinions you can trust mm -hmm. columns you know uh written by people whose perspectives you enjoy and kind of give some you know uh authority to like you don't have that anymore it feels like so yeah it's it's more or less just a it's a push this is the first time uh that we're using a pr group yeah. uh, which has been pretty cool the the uh pray for me was on decibel which uh which was which was pretty good i'm not sure how it translates into visibility especially when there's still a five-month wait you know for the record but uh right um yeah so but we did a we did a video for that one um you saw the video yep uh i shouldn't say we did a video they did a video for that one that's that's not us in the video playing music no. uh, we don't know who that is uh inexercisable we were in that video at least the end of it <clears throat> um that one two days ago i got a facebook reminder that a year ago that it had been a year since we filmed that video. So that's a testament to how fucking long this record has taken. Like, yeah, we made that video a year ago and, and, and we were like, we thought we needed to rush it because we thought we were going to have to release this single and video very soon, you know? Uh, and then the other one, Bounty and Blight, that's the duet, uh, with Allison, um, she this is also kind of speaking to the uh kind of how easy and, and efficient and kind of uh on the same kind of wavelength the workflow was um i proposed this idea of like doing a video where we just have like highly contrasted profiles you know i sing my stuff from one side of the screen she sings hers from the other we sing them together you know together it just very simple with a little kind of uh there'll be like a little animated section in, in, in the bridge but it was um just something easy and inexpensive to execute you know 
find a white wall in your house and film. Yeah. Um, and she sent that footage to me like just super fucking fast. And it's better quality than my footage, but try to make it work. Uh, but yeah, uh, so that's that'll be a video too that I think will be pretty pretty simple but point poignant. And then the rest of the songs are fucking weird, man. They get they get kind of synth synthy. They get kind of electronic. They get at one point a little fast and aggressive. Uh, the other song that Tyler wrote, "Young Drugs," which I'm realizing is back to back with his other song, "Inexercisable." Um, yeah, it's cool. I don't know. I don't know what the uh, what the future brings for this. It feels kind of like one of those. Uh, I never understood when when reading up on kind of certain artists how they would just like lay a project down for a few years and pick it up like you know five ten years later. But like, I don't know what what to do at this point. I think like uh, Tyler's kind of got his hands full uh, where he moved and I've got my hands full with other music and also like it just doesn't feel I don't know that I feel all that Damien Dunn either you know this is not a way to sell a new Damien Dunn record (laughs) (laughs) I just you know I think the whole thing's dead man I think it's I think it's over we're fucked yeah I'm obviously not going to <laughs> put that out just predicated on our relationship but you know whatever man whatever i know what i know it's whatever with you and I feel man you know i just feel like uh i'm really happy with this record i think that anybody uh that's heard old shit is gonna like it more anybody that has not heard the old shit um will be disappointed if they uh, dig into the into the old shit because I think this is the record that people are going to be like, here we go. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I don't know what we're supposed to do with that. You know, we're all like, we're barely, we're barely a band and it's uh it's more kind of a recording, recording thing at this point, but it's uh, I think it's a pretty good record. <laughs> anyway, if you like, uh, no, I don't post-punky, dark rock and roll shit with trap beats and acoustic duets. <laughs> Basically, if you like any style of music, <laughs> there's a song for you on this record. Yeah. So if this if this is the one to go out on, it's a pretty it's a pretty great record to have as a swan song at least for a band that is out in the world if it just becomes a recording project from here on in groovy um i doubt that's going to be the case but you never know yeah yeah i don't and and you know i think the point of it all is just to like for me at this point i think i've just reached a point where uh I, I'm at it. I'm I'm of an age where if people haven't already, sometimes long ago, decided that this is kid shit that they're not going to do anymore. Um, if they've been on the fence, they're getting it. They're getting off of it now. Yeah, it's 
it's reached a point where it is inexcusable for I think most 46 year old dads to still be fucking with music when there are, you know, soccer games and just, there's just other shit to deal with. Right. Yeah. Um, but here we are. Yeah. But here still, we are. Still making music. I'm still doing journalism of well, some sort. I started feeling that way for a minute where I was like, at some point, and I don't know where, whose voice this was, but I was like, at some point, I'll just have to stop doing bands, like writing music. But like, why? You know, There's people don't stop knitting if they like knitting. You know, I like fucking, I like making, it's really silly if you think about it, but I like getting together with a group of other adults and making up songs. <laughs> it's like, it's fucking ridiculous. But, it, <laughs> but, it, you know, but it's, it feels accomplished, you know, you because you make the song out of nothing. It was like silence there. And now you guys just, you grown ass adults, just hummed a melody essentially and made a little jingle together. It's cute, you know? <laughs> it, it, like you're making music. Adorable. But I fucking love it. And I don't see any reason to stop doing it, like until you physically can't do it anymore. There's no, there's no like emotional or like uh, no reason uh, correlated in any age with, in any shape with like age or maturity to stop doing. Just fucking make music, man. And so I, I think I've reached a point where like that turn that I could have made toward just shedding the projects one by one, which is easy because they want to dissolve. Yeah. They want, if you don't, if you don't water them, they will, they want to die. They hate that you're watering actually. Fans <laughs> <laughs> just want to just, everyone has better shit to do. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, it's fun. Why stop? And I just feel I've reached a point in my life where like, not only am I, did I miss that turn? And I'm just like, you know what? I'm gonna fucking turn it up. Actually. I don't think I've been in enough bands. I'm, <laughs> I've tried enough different shit. Like there, there's a bit of that, but there's also just, um, <laughs> there's a bit of like, again, that sort of like awareness of like, I'm not long for this world. And this makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And the amount of happiness that I get from like sending someone a really annoying voice message that's like, okay, so what about if like on the three, if the accent was like on the three and a half instead of the three? So <laughs> sort of like, it was what do you think i don't know feel free to disregard if you if you have a strong argument again i'm fine with it and then you send that and then they're just like no i like it let me try it and then they send you something back and then the next thing you know like you know two weeks later you guys have a song that just is like if no one else in the world ever hears it or thinks it the two of you in that moment are like 
goddamn, we just wrote a hell of a fucking hair metal song, <laughs> right? You know, or whatever, whatever it is. Um, that's just like you don't have to stop doing that. You don't have to embrace this idea that like you gotta just you know sell your guitars and just uh focus on you know focus on the siding that's the <laughs> project this summer you know you, you uh, that shit's important and of course do all that stuff too but like you never have to stop doing something that you enjoy it it look for other fucking generations it was collecting stamps or coins or whatever fucking sketchy World War II paraphernalia, whatever. <laughs> we like to make songs. We're, songs. We're, the, we're the only subculture where continuing to do music past the preconceived notion of a prime is a sin. Uh, Johnny Cash made music until he died in his like late 70s. Yeah. That was acceptable. That was okay. Tupac's still making music. He's dead. Yeah. Still making music. Yeah. Guru still putting out albums. You but know, since we're punks, we have to stop when we're no longer considered youthful. And yeah, you have to stop when you're gray because it's no longer you're now an interloper. You've overstayed your welcome in a scene that has an expiration date and you age you're supposed to age out. It. If you don't leave after after a certain birthday you're a fucking creep who's missing the point you know and like yeah and that's just uh so so i think the mistake there is that the people deciding that hardcore is for the young um are still are not realizing that like the the generation we don't have enough history. Uh, the hardcore doesn't have enough of a history to really like make that call yet, right? Like, we don't quite know yet how hardcore ages. We don't know if bands from the '80s should be completely counted out yet. I can say with some pretty good empirical evidence that most of them should, because uh, <laughs> they just put out. At worst, at best, they put out really shitty music, right? Yeah. Uh, at worst, they just are really shitty people or just believe in really shitty things. But, uh, but I don't think that that's enough. I don't think the, uh, the, the testing is, has been like, it's just not conclusive. Right, like, yeah, we don't know. I mean, maybe hardcore is gonna be best when it's all a bunch of fucking old, old, experienced people at the helm. I mean, certainly wasn't like the best when it was a bunch of kids at the helm. No, I, I think we frittered a lot of it away, and you know, as it matured, it got cool for a time. And maybe it'll go there again. I can only hope.
when's it coming out? May 19th. May 19th. Over a year from its... Yeah. That, that's par for the course in this day and age. Um, we were done mixing in February. So yeah, like a year and three months. It, it was done the last time we talked, actually. I think so. It was. Yeah. Or, or wrapped up or... Yeah, it was, yeah, it was pretty much done. Um, yeah, it's been a it's been a long time. It was pretty disheartening, pretty frustrating for a while. But uh, I just kind of gave in. I was like, I guess this is how it works nowadays. There's nothing I can do about. Actually, there is something you can do. The frustrating thing for me is like, uh, it's one thing if you're waiting all that time because the label is going to be making thousands of you know copies and whatever but it's like these are small runs yeah like we waited you know 15 months or whatever for uh two or three hundred copy press of a, of a record mm. uh, that because of the oversaturation of options and you know accessibility no one may listen to uh, so that's always kind of a, a weird thing. And then they, and then you're always battling the whole, like, do I skip a release and just put it out? Cause the way I feel is like, I I'm excited. I'm the most excited about a record. Like it's when you're mixing it or like this, the minute it's done, but it does not take long for you to start second guessing certain choices or catching shit you missed and you get in your own head. Maybe, maybe not everybody. Again. No, that's that's every, that's everybody who makes music. I think if if anyone were made to sit on a release for this amount of time, they will self-examine, self-doubt, and ultimately try to jettison <laughs> at least half of the release. I had to stop listening to it. Yeah, I had to stop listening to it. And yeah, there was also the part of me that was like, if I don't stop listening to it, I'm going to end up fucking putting half these songs out before the label wants me to. So yeah, I, uh, I just had to sort of, sort of tune it out. It was, it was a long fucking time. It's kind of frustrating. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what to do about that. Uh, I think we might just end up having to move toward a model where like, here's what I think is going to happen. I think that, uh, labels, like Mind Over Matter, like all of these labels who are sort of, um, who are satisfying the kind of vinyl collectors and whatever, like, um, don't stop. People want that shit. People want physical, I want physical kind of, you know, expressions of the, of the albums, record or tape in Europe or Japan, CD, whatever, whatever, you know, like, of course, make, make the stuff. Um, the release date being dependent on the physical release. It's over. That's got to change. That's over. I have enough. And at this point, if we're talking about a few hundred copies of a record that you are probably not even going to sell all of, you know, uh, the release date's not going to be dependent on that pressing. The, the, the pressing is going to happen after the fact. If you like it enough, if you feel like you can move it, have at it. If you don't, don't. But I think we're reaching a point where like artists are not 
Well, I say this because I'm an artist who's not okay with that weight. Um, but I also have a lot of friends who are artists who are completely okay with that weight and think that I need to settle the fuck down. Mm. Or like, dude, that's just the way it is. Don't worry about it. Write new stuff. Keep yourself busy. It'll come out when it comes out. But to me, if, it, if I wrote it at the beginning of 20, if I, if I recorded at the beginning of 2022, it means I wrote it during 2021. Yeah. And now I'm supposed to chill out and just let it come out in the middle of 2023. It's no longer reflecting the moment that I wrote it. It's like, you see how quickly a meme becomes outdated or you know, whatever. And the songs are starting to feel that way to me too, because life is becoming more meme -y and our attention spans are more meme -y. Right. Yeah. So, like the songs are probably more, you know, I don't know. I just, I don't want a record to come out and like, I don't even remember what a lyric was about because it was such a uh, short lived topic, you know, cultural moment that everyone gave a shit about for two days and then forgot about. Yeah. So I don't know. There's enough examples right now of albums that released digitally and then the release comes far later and the faithful will still buy because that market is they're not they're immovable people like me uh we're gonna yeah. wait well i'll wait two years for a record i paid for yeah i want that fucking thing and that's the end of it I, i've had this conversation with mind over matter a lot and and he gets it he's the same way mm -hmm. he'll pre-order shit and wait he understands wait times. He understands lead times. He, uh, he, he's, he's more like we are when it comes to a record. Um, but from what I gather, a lot of his, his, uh, audience is not. And, uh, but yeah, there are a lot of examples of, I, I kind of feel like for me, I'm not going to pre-order a record. I heard, I liked one single. I don't know if the rest of it sucks. Yeah, probably does. I'm not pre-ordering. I will pre-save it. And when it comes out, it'll appear at the top of my Apple Music library. And I'll listen to it two, three, four times. And, uh, and if I like it enough, I will buy that record. Yeah. Because I know that I like every minute of it. And there's a finite amount of real estate in my record cabinet and i've sort of pledged to not exceed the boundaries of that record cabinet so where i am is now if i want new records i ha i'm forced to remove records that you know they didn't get cut on the last call but now their time's up <laughs> but like it's it's it, it keeps the selection fresh i'm not a club i just i want i want records that like uh are i, I want to gradually end up with a collection that are that's just entirely timeless quintessential like the cl my classics yeah. right or records that i really like putting on in the background if we have people over at the house you know <laughs> i want to put on a record I don't want it to be a focal point. It can be 
Fugazi's instrument, you know, uh, or it can be some, you know, Tangerine Dream or something, but I like background shit like that. Yeah. I like R&B kind of uh, stuff on vinyl. Solange, Beyonce's sister. Mm-hmm. That album, A Seat at the Table, that's a record to have on vinyl. No it's kidding. A great album. Um, yeah, shit like that. I, I just like more chill stuff. I've noticed that I've been funneling like a lot of the punk and hardcore stuff out of my records. And if it's important enough to me to have, buy it on tape. I feel like that's the format for that stuff. And then my vinyls for more chill shit for the most part. That's, um, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, I have formats for genres. Uh, that's what I've learned about myself. And actually, it's not even formats. It's because the only formats I have are vinyl or tape. Mm-hmm. So, but I have uh, maybe because of the sp- spatial limitations, I've had to create certain rules for myself. And basically, it's that uh, no metal on vinyl. I got rid of all my. I have a friend uh, who's not much of a record collector, but. Um, uh, was like buy, starting to buy more metal, metal records. So I sent him my metal records. <laughs> so, um, and then I found that like, yeah, I, I, on vinyl, I kind of just want like chill shit. I want hip hop and R&B and like indie stuff and just mellow, uh, mellow stuff. And then tapes are, tapes were really for metal, but it started being hardcore stuff too. To me, I'll always need the things I love in hardcore on vinyl because that's how I bought them originally. But yeah. I the tape thing I love. I yeah. love I love cassettes. I, I love the new like metal cassette trade that's happening right now. I think it's phenomenal and it's cheaper. And I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah, the hardcore thing was mostly vinyl for for, for me too. I mean it kind of spanned across tape vinyl and 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 cd but it was mostly vinyl uh i just don't to me it's just not a. I don't know i don't have much hope of connecting physically with the layout of a punk release in general as i do with a metal release or some, something else these days so i kind of feel it's kind of weird to say but i almost feel like uh like punk and hardcore is the is the one genre that like I almost don't need on a physical format at this point. I, I have a, a bunch of it still, but like I, I don't I don't know.
maybe expectations uh like in terms of like subject matter or kind of there's a point of view they want from the band i think maybe uh and to me i i think that's on the new songs because i think that point of view is inseparable from i mean that i that just is the as for rust kind of I, I think that carries over too, though, for for Ecstasis and and for Damien Dunn because it it doesn't codify. You know what I'm saying? You're not marrying an ideal or 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 a scene per se. Ecstasis is definitely a death metal band, hands down. But it's not. It, it, it's it's very like almost not purist, but close to purist in a way death metal uh in the best way possible you're not trying to you know be more like obituary be more like this it's just it's fucking raw and that's what makes it really really good and gives it a, a it's its own sort of life its own attitude i think that's carrying that carries over seamlessly into damien dunn stuff because there's that attitude again it's it's always about the attitude, the way you present yourself as almost not adversarial, but definitely bristly. <laughs> and I've talked to you enough that I know you're really not. But when you're in the zone and you're on stage and you're, and you're applying your trade, making your music, there's always that, that vibe that some, yeah. anything could happen. Anything can happen and it's probably going to be a little dangerous. And I think we should all kind of expect that from people that were entertained by or or whose music we adhere to because we sh we're supposed to be challenged. We're supposed to be like in the ape brain looking back at the car accident so we know what not to do, right? There's, yeah. there's that just part of us that needs to know what's underneath. What's, the, what, what's hiding under my bed, man? What is that thing, you know? I think that's the kernel of, of why we like roller coasters, why we love horror movies, you know, that's, and that's truly entertaining. <laughs> Maybe that's just psychosis in my own mind, but to me, that's the draw. That's the draw to whatever you do. I, I don't know if you've ever considered that, but no, no, not really. Um, but I, but I guess I do try to, um, I always liked those songs or to I'll, I'll stick with the Dan O'Mahony thing. Like I like those, those records that had songs on them that presented or presented an, uh, an idea that was maybe new to me or more often, I guess uh, just tackled a subject I hadn't heard tackled in a punk song, in a hardcore song. And uh, and then you look at all these other bands that are just beating the same issues to death, uh, or worse, in the same ways. Mm -hmm. Right? At least beat them to death in like multiple ways. You know, <laughs> uh, um, it, it uh, and, and I was guilty of of, of this too uh, early on in in bands, I think, but. Uh, it was just always so much more interesting to me where it was like, yeah, like, dude, wouldn't you rather be, uh, 
someone who wrote a song that like created a little spark of like oh shit i've never i don't think i've ever heard a song about this you know or uh i, I don't i don't believe a singer's ever quite spoken to me that way and i'm not sure i like his tone <laughs> that, that kind of shit like i i want to be like uh I just don't want to, I, my, I guess the fear is like, I just don't want to sound like whatever bands people think we sound like, you know, we, we get clumped in, you know, back to that whole, like our contemporaries, you know, uh, great boy sets fire Thursday, I guess, toward the end, like ba bands like that, uh, all very talented bands, great at what they do. But I, I can't picture those, the, the people that sing in these bands, like li home listening or home reading, like Cormac McCarthy. You know, I know that's probably very snobbish to come out of my mouth, but to me, uh, I could picture Dan O'Mahony doing that easily, even though he was very rough in, in his way. Like there was an intelligence to that roughness, that, 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 viciousness that's probably something rarefied in me but i look for that i i seek that out if i hear a song and and i can tell someone's a thinker someone's uh reaching for something else other than just their situation <laughs> you know? yeah and also and also and this is i think a, a thing about dan that that i that i remember like feeling early early on uh with like no for an answer and, and 411 and shit uh it's it's not just like these are smart lyrics and he's um sort of not really concerned about the conventions of hardcore in terms of like topics like he like finally somebody like is singing about like kind of more interesting shit and like i think i think actively going out of his way to look for new takes and new topics right which is like no one else is even fucking bothering yeah you know um but but beyond all of that you also got the sense that like obviously he's very smart and he's and he's trying to bring new perspective to the table which is uh which was lacking, but also uh, because he's smart, probably um, he's a bit of a dick. Yeah, you can sort of hear that, and that it's you. You brought up the jabbiness, like, but like I, I, I like that. Yeah, there should be like, if you have the audacity to think, you know, to 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 get on a stage at, like with a mic in your hand. And think that anybody should give a shit about what you have to say. Um, I think you should just have something interesting to say, or at least an interesting way to say something uninteresting. Well, that that's uh, why I like Paul Bearer so much, though. You know what I mean? Yeah, fucking like lay it down, scold, preach. Like you're you're up there with a microphone in your hand because you are angry and have some shit to let out. So please fucking let it out. Cause like everyone else is just up here, like, uh, showing off their fucking, uh, 
quiet scream techniques or whatever, you know, and it's just a bunch of like kind of bland vanilla, like brutality or whatever, but like it's, it's all style and there's just no fucking substance. Uh, it feels like to a lot of shit where like, yeah, just put, put a new idea on the table once in a while, if, you know, there, I, I, a new I, voice in the room. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to talk loud, say something <laughs> in all yeah. reality, like there's a, a severe lack of, of voices that are extreme in, in delivery that are also giving you something to think about like beneath that. I think Starkweather was a band that did that really, really well from Philadelphia. Um, but bands in that ilk, it was always just people just trying to sound scary or talk about things that yeah, yeah. I, I need to be moved. Yeah. But that's I, a big, uh, that's something else that gets conflated a lot. It's just like, yeah, yeah. Brutality, like of a, of a voice. Um, there's absolutely no correlation with uh, how fucking brutal and angry you sound uh, with how interesting or how just completely fucking boring. <laughs> because it's like, I that voice doesn't mean anything if it's devoid of like, uh, like if it's not telling an interesting story and if it just doesn't sound like authentic there has to be character you know and a lot of those vocals are just like i can't fucking scream like that no way i don't have the throat for that um my throat my screaming voice did not last more than a few years really it was a very small window and i fucking blew i just didn't have i don't have the the stuff for it you know that other like screamers um uh have that was part of what i liked I'm going to be honest with you. What I really, really liked about when you would scream was I could understand what you were saying. And I'm a, I'm a death metal head. I, I love early cannibal corpse records. I, I, I love napalm death, all that shit, but you never really knew what the fuck they were saying. The lyrics could have very easily not been what they were actually saying. I liked that. I could tell what was coming out of your mouth. Guttural vocals are great. They're fun. Sounds awesome. But when you can, when someone's really projecting and they have something to say and you can hear it and, and it's discernible, it gets a point across in a way that these other guttural voices aren't really, they're not really going to affect an intellectual response. If that makes no, they sense. Can't. They can't. They're yeah. not coming across. You chase the thing that like, if you're playing in a hardcore band, I think you're subconsciously always, uh, you want to bring to the table all of the things that made you fall in love with hardcore. Mm. Right. And to me, like all, all of those bands were, the singers were completely, you understood every single fucking word they were saying. It was direct, you know, it was directed like at you. 
very confrontational. Yeah. But like crystal clear and and uh and that was always like important to me. Yeah. I mean, again, it's back to the whole like why do you have a if you don't have anything to say or like if it's just like, you know, technique and and screamy growliness and or whatever like what's the point? I don't know. I guess it can still sound very good. But what does it mean? Yeah. Yeah. On the other end of the spectrum, Glenn Benton, you can understand, but hmm. <laughs> those, yeah. those, those lyrics, man, <laughs> I loved them though. I did love them for how confrontational and, and cartoony they could be, you know, right up until and including once upon the cross. I, I love those first couple deicide records so much. It's I've never a, really given DSI a chance because I think that cartooniness was like, to me, I just wasn't. Maybe, maybe coming from South Florida, I was too like. The Marilyn Manson thing was like too in our faces. Where like the cartooniness, cartooniness, uh, cartooniness <laughs> um, that you're talking about was like just. I couldn't. I, I couldn't do it like after having been kind of a, like the epicenter like Fort Lauderdale was like getting so uh I don't know like yeah cartoonish in general so um, yeah you and you got stuck with that before all of us did because the spooky kids were running amok in Fort yeah. Lauderdale at that time did you have occasion to have seen that spectacle when it was still yeah uh, yeah I I saw them several times uh, when they were still under the spook. I don't think I ever saw them after the spooky kids got dropped, but I saw them several times as the spooky kids. Sometimes uh, once in front of maybe like 10 or 12 people. Um, forget who they were playing with, but uh, I was apparently there for whoever they were playing with. Yeah. Uh, but they weren't bad. They, I mean, they, they did what they did. Well, it was very of the times kind of alternative, you know, sort of uh, whatever. But at the time they were still like, he was just like a dude in a t-shirt and jeans. I think one of them was wearing like a prom dress or something, but otherwise they just looked like any other kind of uh, local band or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I unfortunately got to see. Well, I saw when I saw the Spooky Kids. It was it was fun. It it was different for what I was used to in Pennsylvania for certain. But right after, like right when Marilyn Manson first became Marilyn Manson, the band, I'd gone to see Danzig on the Danzig Four tour, and opening were two bands I wasn't fully familiar with. One was Marilyn Manson. One was Corn. The corn record wasn't even out, I think, yet. And I remember seeing it. I remember seeing corn open and these guys in Adidas suits and one had bagpipes. And I was like, wait, this could be cool for about a second. And I was I was starting to be like, okay, these guys might like hardcore or something. They're oh, never mind. <laughs> Wind out of the sails. And there's a whole generation now of, of people who are into hardcore and making hardcore adjacent music within the scene that are like 1 million percent influenced by new metal. Yeah, 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 yeah. What? 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't get now. I don't get you, it. You shift that. There's like this. This go, like you find like the median age of like the hardcore kid of today, right? And then there's this like this scope where like you you go back to however many years to like whatever that sort of point of adolescence, the average, you know, age where people start getting kind of interested in music, whatever. And like, and you just kind of have to shift it. So it's, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Like today that, that scope would only extend back to like what, 2000, 2000, 2005, something, 2010. I don't actually, I don't even know. I think it's probably a smaller window than realized. Like, so I guess it, it makes sense. It's just, it's bizarre to us because I think that now that that scope has shifted kind of completely past us. There's no part of it that like isn't. I feel like the punk has gone. It's, uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. There you have it, my friends. My epic discussion with Damien Moyal parsed down to a very short, concise, close to two-hour episode. As you can hear, my dogs are baying in the background, so it is time for me to bid you a fond adieu. But I have to tell you, it's always, always a pleasure to hang out with my friend Damien. I implore you, head over to mindovermatterrecords.com and pick up the physical copy of Total Power. It is a modern masterpiece. That being said, I've been Peter. He's been Damien. You've been beautiful. And from 3.33 AM Productions, this has been the book of Very, Very Bad Things Podcast. Good night, everyone. <laughs>